Hi there. Welcome to the Carter Report. And thank you so much for joining us today for our brand new series on Biblical Archaeology. We're calling it Amazing Discoveries in Lost Cities of the Dead. We're going to take you to some of the most exciting places on the face of the earth, starting right here in the fantastic Middle East. We're going to take you today down to the land of the pyramids, the land of the pharaohs, and we're going to show you some of the glory and some of the wealth and some of the splendor of that magnificent civilization. But firstly today, we're going to take you downtown Los Angeles to the Shrine Auditorium for a great meeting on Biblical Archaeology. Welcome to the Carter Report. Prophecy. It's used to peer into the future, but it must be learned from the past. The Carter Report presents Focus on Prophecy. From the Shrine Auditorium in downtown Los Angeles, John Carter unravels the mysteries of Bible prophets and brings modern meaning to this ancient book. And now, John Carter. And we're going to answer the question, what does archaeology have to say concerning the, the historicity of the Jewish and the Christian documents? That's important. This afternoon we're going to major on biblical archaeology. What about the curse of the pharaohs? Does it still kill? Did the, does the pyramid possess secret powers? Uh, are there genuine predictions? In America, there are lots and lots of people who claim that they can see into the future. Are there genuine predictions? Okay. And then we're going to pull it all together in the last five minutes, and we're going to say this. What is a subject as dry as archaeology that comes from the dust heaps of history, what has that got to do with us living today? Is there a message from the past that can show me what I ought to do today? We're going to talk today about the pyramids and we're going to see why they were built and how they were built and what the great philosophy of these people was. What was their motivational force? This land of Egypt, because it is in the Sahara Desert, is about the driest place on the face of the earth. Old Peter, the Coptic, said to me, uh, he said, now I'm an old man. He said, I'm, I'm 80 years of age. And uh, I said to him, Peter, uh, have you ever seen rain? And he said, oh, yes, I have seen rain. He said, not often, but he said, I have seen rain. I said, Peter, when did it rain? He said, we had a good shower of rain. He said, it rained heavily uh, 10 years ago. He was then in the Valley of the Kings. He said it rained 10 years ago. And he said it rained for a full five minutes. And he was then 80 years of age. Down in Cairo, it does rain. They get two or three inches of rain a year. But when you go up here, up where this man comes from, in, the, in Upper Egypt, if you go up there rather to the, to the area up around Aswan uh, and Luxor and, and Karnak and the Valley of the Kings, you can say it virtually never rains. Old Peter over there on the right-hand screen is, is in the Valley of the Kings right there. Now, the interesting thing is that for thousands of years, the Nile Valley has been irrigated by the, by the wonderful River Nile. The amazing thing is that you can be virtually a thousand miles from the sea in the midst of the blazing hot sands of the Sahara Desert uh, with 120 degrees temperature, and here is this mighty, this tremendous river pouring forth life. 
And for thousands of years before they built the Aswan Dam, there was the yearly inundation which left behind the river came up, burst across its banks and left behind a two-inch carpet of thick, black, rich Abyssinian soil. And uh, that soil is some of the, as you can see over there, it, it caused some of the uh, best uh, growing country on the face of the earth. A wonderful place. And there about 3,000 years ago, there came a man who became a pharaoh. His name was Menes. And Menes started the, the first of the great dynasties or the great uh, families of pharaohs who were going to rule this land. This land was the land of the god kings. It once had the longest line of kings in civilization and perhaps made the greatest impact upon the human race. Uh, it is a land of the pyramids. Usually when we talk about the pyramids, we think of the great pyramids at Giza, the pyramids of Cheops, Khufu, and so forth. But there are many pyramids in Egypt. There are some 80 pyramids in Egypt, including the Bent Pyramid and the Step Pyramid and uh, the Medum Pyramid and the Red Pyramid. Here's a little pyramid, and uh, people say to me, why were the pyramids built? What was the real purpose in building the pyramids? Well, we're going to explore that as we move along this afternoon. One question we should answer now is this. How did the pharaohs uh, preserve the bodies of their ancestors? Why is it that these bodies last for thousands and thousands of years? One of the things that amazes me whenever I go to the Cairo Museum, and uh, I've been given the permission on several occasions by the uh, gracious the Egyptian government to go into the royal mummy room, and you look down upon the pharaohs, these great men, we're going to put them on the screen this afternoon, men like Amenhotep and Ramesses the Great and, and Seknan Ray and Kamos and Amos, and you're looking down at the men that caused the earth to tremble. These tremendous potentates, these warrior kings, these god kings, and you say, why were they preserved for so long, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? Now, there is a mummy over on the left screen, and that was not, never mummified by the normal rites of the Egyptian uh, physicians. But the mummies that were found out in the hot desert sands lasted as well as the pharaohs. And uh, this is because of the absolute dryness of the climate. Somebody has said, an archaeologist said to me, you can uh, be pretty sure that if you were to throw your boot down in the Sahara Desert, and if it wasn't stolen by a Bedouin, and if you could live for a hundred years, you would come back and the boot would be, still be in a good state of preservation. And these bodies have been dehydrated by the dryness of the climate, and thus they have been preserved. That was the real reason that the pharaohs had success in preserving the bodies of the pharaohs. And also, listen to this, it's important. Because the bodies lasted so long, the Egyptians came to believe in the concept of eternity. They believed that the human race was made not to die, but the human race was made to live. And as time went by, the doctrine of man's immortality arose with the Egyptians. This is where it really came from. And they believed that the, uh, that the shell, the body, was basically a shell, a little bit like the Greeks believed in the days of Socrates and Plato and so forth. And they believed that inside the body there was a car. But here is the point, unlike the Greeks. The Greeks believed that the, the soul would survive in spite of the body. But the, but the Egyptians didn't believe this. The Egyptians believed that the, that the soul or the car could only survive if the, if the body were preserved. And this is why they built their tombs, because of their, their fascination with the concept of eternity.
And so the Great Pyramid was built. Why was it built? It was built to preserve the body of Pharaoh Cheops. And when they dug like uh, rodents into the mountains in the Valley of the Kings and scooped out millions of cubic feet of dirt to, dirt to hide their pharaohs, they did it for one purpose, to perpetuate eternity. There you have the great river Nile. Herodotus, the great Greek, Greek historian, said, Egypt is the gift of the Nile, and the Nile is the gift of the gods. And uh, in this wonderful land, so blessed by the God of heaven, so rich and, and so fertile, evolved this tremendous race that did these wonderful exploits and that are still influencing us today. Did you know that the first five books of the Bible were written by a man who was born in Egypt? Much of the Christian civilization is based upon the Egyptian way of thinking. This man who wrote the first five books of the Bible, his name, as we're going to see today, and uh, I'm going to put his name up because we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the, the Moses kings. The word Moses is straight out of Egypt. It means born of. And most likely, as I'm going to tell you a little bit later on as we go along, but I get carried away, I get, I get so excited with this, it's most likely that the young princess who went down to the River Nile and, and she saw this little baby there, uh, crying his lungs out and she she picked him out of the river Nile most likely she called him Harpy Moses which means born of the god Harpy the god of the Nile and so there's no doubt about it this civilization that started so so long ago the civilization of the god kings and the pyramid builders uh, this civilization has had a profound impact upon western civilization now let me move along a little further because I want to talk to you a little bit more in depth about the pyramids. Now here is the first of the great pyramids on the screen over here. This is the Step Pyramid which was built in the days of the third dynasty or the third uh, kingdom of the pharaohs after Menes. It was built by Zoza through Imhotep who was his physician and also his prime minister. The Step Pyramid, it is a very, very interesting structure. People say, why did they build a pyramid like this? Why? Now the step pyramid reminds us very much of the ziggurats from the Mesopotamian Valley. Now when you read the Christian scriptures, you read there about the Tower of Babel. And all through that area you have towers. Uh, even in more recent times the Muslims built this great tower called at Samara. But these towers were believed, or these mountains or mounds, were believed by the ancients to be the dwelling place of the gods. They believed that the gods lived in a mountain. And that is why in the old city of Babylon that we're going to take you to on Monday night, they built this tremendous tower like the Tower of Babel. And uh, it, was, it was a mountain covered with trees because they believed that this is where the gods came to communicate with the human race. The Great Pyramid at Cheops, what a tremendous thing that is. It was built in the time of the, uh, of the fourth dynasty and it was built by Pharaoh Cheops. It is 775 feet along each side. Originally it stood 481 feet high, it still stands 450 feet high. It's laid out almost perfectly north, south, east and west on a dead flat base. It is composed, let me say it, 2,300,000 giant blocks of limestone. If you were to cut up the blocks, those big blocks of the Great Pyramid, into one-foot squares, you could build a fence right around the United States of America two feet high. 
Huge, huge building. Why was it built? It was built to perpetuate immortality. And uh, you see, these people were, were very, very religious people. They believed that they were in contact with supernatural spirits. And whenever you go into their tombs, like this uh, over here on the right-hand side, you see the, the gods and the goddesses and the demons, as well as alabaster vases and, and thrones and, and beautiful uh, uh, chests of furniture. Uh, gold and gold and, and so much exquisite craftsmanship. People say, how do they do it? We thought people back in those days must have been barbarians. I tell you, friends, they weren't barbarians. But some people have the idea that maybe there had been before them a great civilization. Uh, did you know that in all of these ancient civilizations, the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, they all believed in a great civilization. Uh, you know, you have these myths among the Indians of this country. You have the, the same myths uh, among the Aborigines in Australia. You have hundreds of myths among the South Sea Islanders. And they'll tell you about a great civilization. We call that civilization by the term Atlantis. And they say that there came a tremendous catastrophe and that civilization was, was wiped off the face of the earth. It is believed by some people that the ancients did not start out from scratch, but they had... They had knowledge that had been passed on to them by a great civilization. And that these people back there, these were not barbarians who were living on raw meat in caves, living out on the desert. No, but these were people who were sophisticated and they had been in contact with a race that had lived upon this earth, a part of the human race, and there had come a tremendous catastrophe. This explains all the flood stories and the flood myths. The Babylonians called the Noah Utnapishtim. And so wherever you go, you have these stories. And many people believe that these people back there were the inheritors of a wealth of knowledge. And this is how they were able to do some of these tremendous exploits that make us even gasp today. Whenever I come to Egypt and explore the Giza Plateau, I'm amazed by the pyramids. They are so great, they are so massive, they are so mighty. Take the Great Pyramid of Cheops, 460 feet high, composed of 2,300,000 great blocks of limestone. One thing is very plain to me. The people who built the pyramids were not primitives. They were architectural geniuses. And this tells me something. You know what it tells me? It tells me that the Bible is a sophisticated book because the Bible was conceived and born in the land of the pyramids. Did you know that? Did you know the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these books were written by a man who was born and bred in Egypt, whose name was Moses. I want you to know today for an absolute certainty that you can believe the Bible. The Bible is not a primitive book. It is a book for modern people. It is a book written especially for you. And I would like to give you some of this material. I would like you to call me right now for amazing discoveries from the land of the pyramids. Call me now. The telephone number is now appearing on your television, television screen. Call me now for amazing discoveries. How do they build these 
tremendous places. We know why they did it, but the question is, how did they build these tremendous places? Now, here's one of the problems. When we talk about that question, while the Egyptians left us inscriptions everywhere telling us how they did some things, they left us no inscriptions telling us how they built the pyramids. Herodotus, the father of history, the great Greek historian says, it took 20 years to build the Great Pyramid. That the Egyptians used 100,000 slaves to build the Great Pyramid. And they also say that they used, this is what Herodotus says, that they built a great ramp of, of mud bricks and they took 10 years to build this and the, and the great ramp went, went back miles. There is some evidence that this is so. And I'm going to show you some of the evidence as we move along today. Because if you go up to Karnak, where you have the great pylon of the great Karnak temple that goes up about 80 feet, you have there, and you can see it as plain as day, you can, you can see the remains of a great mud ramp. I believe that the most likely explanation to the building of the pyramids is slave labor and the building of these tremendous ramps. And so these places were built by slaves and they had plenty of time and they also had a complete power because the pharaohs didn't believe in democracy. The idea of democracy has come pretty lately on the world scene. These people, these kings back here, were god kings with unlimited power. And when they spoke, well, people did what they were told because if they didn't do what they were told, they weren't around for very long. And so... There we have the three great pyramids on the Giza Plateau on the, on the right-hand screen, these wonders of the world. Let's take you for a moment because we've got so much to get through. I want to talk to you about the hieroglyphics. I want to talk to you about biblical archaeology. But firstly, let me take you as on the right-hand side uh, into the great pyramid itself. This is not the original opening, but this was blasted through by some Arabs of several hundred years after Christ. But there were secret passages inside the Great Pyramid. I've been inside there I don't know how many times. But when you go inside the Great Pyramid, one of the things that amazes you, this is just the, the opening that was made by the Arabs, this one over here on the left-hand side. But when you get inside the Great Pyramid and you go up the King's Chamber, you see these tremendous big slabs that I'm pointing to now, those, those tremendous big slabs. Now, I've got uh, something here. Here it is. I've got a little laser beam. There you can see those big slabs. Those slabs are not made out of limestone, but they're made out of granite. And they weigh about 50 tons each, and they were floated uh, 600 miles down the Nile River from Aswan. The thing that is, is so amazing, when you go into the, the king's chamber, into the chamber of King Cheops, ladies and gentlemen, you stand there in amazement because on top of you there are these millions, millions of tons of great stones. And they've been sitting up there like that. You're standing there, and on top of you, you have these great big blocks of granite, and on top of that, millions of tons of other stones. Uh, it's been like that for thousands and thousands of years. And when you get inside the king's chamber, you find the sarcophagus. And as we go along, we may have a picture somewhere of the sarcophagus. This is going up into the king's chamber. I have explored this for years. And you can notice I have my friend pointing there. You can see how they have joined the great slabs of granite together. They are so close together, you couldn't slip a little piece of paper between them. And so this is an architectural wonder. Um, it's just a wonderful thing. It has been laid out. 
we know today according to a complex mathematical formula. Those people knew what they were doing and they were building for a purpose. They were building to perpetuate eternity. Here is the sarcophagus of Cheops. It has been empty now for four and a half thousand years. The wealth that went into that sarcophagus, nobody could really comprehend because he was one of the big pharaohs. He was one of the big god kings. We know what went into the tomb of, of King Tut. And we're going to show you the riches of King Tut in a few moments. Into his tomb went $250 million worth of gold. And he was a political nobody. King Tut was a boy who died at about 16 or 17 or 18 years of age. And uh, he was one of the most insignificant pharaohs that the world has ever seen. But his tomb was the only tomb largely found intact. And we know what went into that tomb. God only knows what went into some of these tombs. If they could put $250 million worth of gold into the tomb of a, of a political nobody, what went into the tomb of, of Ramesses the Great and Tutmosis the Third and, and some of these tremendous pharaohs? The wealth of old Egypt is almost beyond description. Their power, their ingenuity and their glory. And this civilization still influences us today. And as we get along today, you're going to see how it will influence us living right here in the city of Los Angeles. Their craftsmanship, it's breathtaking as you can see with the, the beauty of Tutankhamun's coffin there. The primeval mountain, the dwelling place of the gods, where the gods would come down and visit these people. They believed in supernatural beings. And uh, when you go and talk to some of those people today, when you talk to the, the old Bedouins, they still believe today that the gods or the demons have an influence upon the human race. We're going to talk today about the question, I'm asked this everywhere, do you really believe in the curse of the pharaohs? Do you believe that if a person uh, breaks open the tomb of a pharaoh, something is going to happen to him? Well, these people back there, of course, believed in the power of the supernatural. We live today in a very cynical age, but uh, these people back there believed that there was an unseen, real, unseen world of real beings. And they believed that those beings had an influence upon their lives. And uh, this, of course, is why they built the pyramids. This is why they built the tombs. This is why they believed in the immortality of the soul. This is why they practiced mummification. And uh, we know this because of their writings. Now, the Egyptians wrote in hieroglyphics. They had approximately 700, 750 symbols, and the hieroglyphics go back about 5,000 years. The Egyptians, ladies and gentlemen, were great writers. They wrote on everything. I was talking to a man not very long ago in Sydney, and he said, John, uh, you know, um, it's very, very hard to believe in, in uh, books like the Bible or any of those books because he said, you know, uh, they couldn't have written those books. You know, writing goes back a long, long time before the Bible. And the Egyptians were great writers. And everything that happened of significance, they wrote it down with a political, with a political twist. And so you can't believe everything in the hieroglyphics. You can't believe that the king who says he had a victory had a victory. But you can believe the gist of the stories. But for the last 2,000 years or more, the meaning of the hieroglyphics was lost. And then in 1798... Napoleon Bonaparte, the French emperor, marched his soldiers down into Egypt and took uh, Egypt captive. And because uh, Napoleon was interested in antiquity, he took along with him a, sea, a, a group of scholars. 
And these scholars, with some soldiers, were fossicking outside the little village of Rosetta. And they found this trilingual inscription, which today is in the British Museum as a spoil of war. The British beat the French in the battle there after Waterloo, and they took this over to the British Museum, and it's been there ever since. It is a trilingual inscription. It is written in Greek, Demotic, which is a type of Egyptian writing, and also in hieroglyphics. Now, a young Frenchman by the name of Jean-Francois Champollion never saw the hieroglyphic stone, but he was given a copy of it, a plaster cast. Nobody could understand the hieroglyphics. It was too difficult to understand. But he worked on the hieroglyphics for years. This young man was an absolute genius. By the time he was 13 years of age, he was fluent in, in the Coptic language. In, in language. Uh, he was getting into the Babylonian, the Chaldean language. And uh, after he worked on the Rosetta Stone for a number, year, a number of years, he astounded the world by telling them that finally he could understand the hieroglyphics. And today, we now know the message of the hieroglyphics. And today, uh, we are in a marvelous position to go and look at the hieroglyphics and uh, to look at uh, these ancient manuscripts and the papyri and all of these things and find out really what was going on back there in the land of the Egyptians as far as it relates to us today. There you have Ramesses the Great, the man who lived back in the 13th century BC. He was the man who had 92 sons and 106 daughters. Uh, he was the man who also fought the Hittites. Now, on the other side of the river at Luxor, you have the great Ramesseum, and there you see Ramesses the Great fighting the Hittites. Now you say to me, well, what, what's of significance of that? So what? Well, I'll tell you what the significance is. For many, many, many years, lots of people said, almost all the scholars said that the Hittites did not exist. Now the Bible, of course, the Jewish book, and the Christian book, and the Muslim book, uh, the Old Testament parts at least, spoke a great deal about the Hittites and spoke about the Hittites as a great nation. And there you can go, there you can go into the Ramesseum and you'll actually see the story there in the hieroglyphics of Ramesses the Great as he fights this tremendous nation the Hittites, and almost gets a tremendous caning as he does it. He almost lost the battle, we discovered later, though you'd never find that out from what uh, Ramesses said, because Ramesses was also a great boaster. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me talk now about biblical archaeology, and let me tell you some significant discoveries that you're going to find exciting. For many, many years, lots and lots of people have been poking fun at the Bible. They've said something like this, you can't believe in the Bible, it's really just a load of garbage, it's full of mythological characters, you can't believe it, it's not historically accurate. And then scholars came here to the western bank of the Nile at Luxor and they discovered this magnificent wall that talks about Ramesses the Great and the mighty nation of the Hittites. And you say to me, John Carter, what is significant about Ramesses the Great and the Hittites? Let me tell you. Skeptics said the Hittites did not exist, and the Bible spoke about the Hittites. Once again, the Bible was right, and the skeptics were wrong. You can believe in the Bible as the Word of God.